Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host. Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, You'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm so excited to have as my guest Steve Yang. Steve Yang is a relationship coach, and his coaching combines three different things, like a a unique blend of three different things. He teaches transformational coaching, which really creates breakthroughs in people's lives. He does behaviorism and reinforcement training, which makes the transformation stick. And he also teaches Taoist concepts of balance, Taoism or Taoist concepts. And this helps with resting and recuperation when needed. So it's a really unique combination, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about it. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here, Sumati. So great to have you. So, Steve, um, tell me how you ended up being a relationship coach. How does how does one end up calling themselves that? What, what was your particular journey to that point in your life? Uh, my journey started uh, when I really actually took my first personal development course. That was in 2013, which is now, wow, it was eight years ago. Um, I was uh, doing a lot of landmark courses and did six years of that. And once I started taking a lot of their leadership and management programs, um, they had me coaching people. So basically, I just was paying landmark for the opportunity to coach people. Um, and after three years of doing that, I was like, hey, maybe, uh, maybe I'll have people pay me for this. And I... Uh-huh. Uh, declared myself as a coach and uh, people started paying me and it was great. And then once I, once I finally did start reaching out to other coaches and getting to know other coaches, I realized that, um, you know, another thing that I had uh, a kind of like a leg up on was that I'm a, I'm a trained certified teacher as well. I was a English teacher for five years. And so that really helped me with the public speaking with creating a lesson plan, with making the material engaging, how to reach people who don't necessarily know the things that I know, and having it make sense to them. Uh, and also, I was a martial arts instructor. Uh, and I, I try to combine, combine all of uh, my previous experience and training and education uh, into my coaching now, and it's great. I love it. Awesome. 
That's really cool. So um, Landmark, in case people haven't heard of that before, can you explain a little bit about what that is and why it was so important in your life? Landmark. Okay. Um, So first of all, Landmark is great. It's amazing uh, for what it is. Um, And what I would say is it definitely has its place. There are, I would say there are some people who, um, think that landmark is the end all be all of personal development, and I definitely wouldn't say that. Uh, it, it, it definitely freed me from my perspective. And actually, here's a really interesting, really interesting thing. Um, I did the landmark forum back in 2013, and uh, I think it was like a year and a half later, I took shrooms for the first time. <laughs> and, I remember very clearly, I remember very clearly, I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, I was like, I was like really deep into myself. I I could see all the way to the other end of the universe. You know, like somebody came up to me and asked me, hey, Steve, how are you doing? And I looked at him and I was like, me, I don't understand the concept of me. Right. (laughs) And then I came out of it. And I was talking with one of my friends, and I was, she was just like, so how was your first shroom trip? And I said, oh, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. You know, I could totally see how people consider it like a spiritual awakening. But for some reason, for me, it wasn't. And so this is up in, like, Bellingham, Washington. It's near the, the border with uh, Canada. And so we drove back uh, from this camping trip out there in the woods. And on the 24-hour drive back from uh, Bellingham, Washington, here to the Bay Area, um, it, it dawned on me. The reason why it wasn't such a huge spiritual awakening for me is because it's where Landmark's teachings brought me. I've been, I've been there before, and Landmark's courses bring me there. And it takes, it takes a lot of mental energy and effort to get there without the drug. It's mm-hmm. three whole days of really uh, kind of grueling look at yourself type of thing. <laughs> and then finally, after two and a half days, everything just breaks open, which if you mm. if you take shrooms, you take the shrooms, and then like an hour and a half later, you're woo. It's like this right. thing that you can play around in. But if you're going to do it on your own without the drug, it's like it takes so much work. It takes a lot of work to get there and then <laughs> stay there, you know. So, uh, yeah, that landmark is where I got started, uh, and uh, I got three years of of experience with their uh, leadership and management pro- programs. That's where I basically was trained to be a coach. I'm not a certified coach, which is fine. Nobody has ever refused my coaching because I'm not certified. <laughs> um, and I do think with relationship coaching, uh, more importantly, it's like, do you get along with each other? You know? Right. That's Are you going to listen right. to each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So before we get into the relationship coaching, just a little bit with your story. Um, uh-huh. So you had this this moment of kind of a dissolution of ego, it sounds like, with, with the mm-hmm. shrooms. And so mm-hmm. do, do you think that that was kind of what you had at in landmark after the two and a half days of yeah. hard work, did you have a sense of like yeah. um, share, shared 
experience with people, like a oneness? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was that what it was? Uh, it was less like a oneness, and it was more like a, it was more like a state of non-existence. I don't know. Huh. Does that make sense? It's like I'm not here. I'm totally not. I'm like the the concept of me is a myth. Uh, and I don't actually exist. And none of this even matters anyway. Why are we struggling so much? <laughs> my phone fell. God, I've never <laughs> heard Landmark explain that way. I've never heard anybody say that they have that kind of an experience from Landmark. So that's that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I that's would also great. say what people get from Landmark totally depends on what they're looking for. Right? You uh, will find... What it, whatever it is that you're looking for. My mom did Landmark the weekend after I did it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be so great. Mom is going to get the experience of having her ego completely destroyed. But, no, that's not what happened with my mom. My mom got, like, self-expression. She just says what's on her mind. She became a lot more forceful. <laughs> I'm like, no, oh, wait, wow. that's not <laughs> – Accommodating, appeasing mom that you always knew, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, that's so. really interesting. That's so cool. Okay, and so um, you then uh, you said you were you have done martial arts, and so I'm wondering mm. if that's how you learned about Taoism as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I lived in China for five years. That's when I was mm-hmm. an English year. So I graduated in 2001. I got my English teaching certificate, and I moved to China, bought a one-way ticket to China. Um, and uh, in the first year, it was like, okay, I'm here, I'm in China, mostly because I'm Chinese. And I didn't, I never really feel like, felt like I grew up with a connection to Chinese culture, uh, being uh-huh. Chinese-American, but also growing up in Philadelphia. Not very many mm-hmm. Asian people there. The neighborhood I grew up in is mostly Jewish um, mm. And so I felt disconnected from my own heritage. So I went over there and I lived there for five years. And then during the first year, I was like, I need to find a Kung Fu instructor. So I'm going to be here in China and learn Kung Fu. Um, so, yeah, I started with Wu Fu, which is like the performance. You do fancy flips and, you know, you know, when they do the kip ups, they're like lying down and they poof and then they're standing. <laughs> right. Right. All the fancy right. acrobatics. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But at the time, I was like 24, 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, after about a year and a half of that, my body started to fall apart, right? Oh. So that's when I switched. I switched from doing Wushu and Shaolin Kung Fu, and I moved to what they call the soft, the soft styles, quote-unquote soft styles, right? Mm-hmm. Xingyi. I started with Xingyi and then Bagua and then Tai Chi, Taiji, if I'm going to say it the Chinese way, um, mm-hmm. mostly because my body could not handle the hard styles, being in my mid to late right. 20s, you know, and, and expect me to do like no handed cartwheels. Is that is that an okay. older age for starting martial arts? Okay. I was practicing with kids who were like nine and ten years old. Mainly uh, in China, okay. it's it's an activity for little kids. It's like their PE uh, class. Right, um, and also mm-hmm. surprisingly, like martial arts is a is a means for them to get out of poverty. Mm. Uh, 
because they have hopes of being like a kung fu movie star, right? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of those kids out there. So mm-hmm. taking the long shot. Interesting. Right, uh, right. Yeah, so I, I studied um, the soft styles, um, starting with Shimi, uh, which was, okay, first I want to forewarn you. Martial arts is something I'm really passionate about, and I, if you're talking about something I'm passionate about, I can just go off. But if you want to bring it just to, like, Steve, just stop. We need to talk about something else. That's totally fine. I understand. Okay? Well, let's try <laughs> to keep it to um, what, how it informs your coaching. <laughs> so, Tai Chi, thank you for focusing it. <laughs> um, everybody knows the yin-yang symbol. And there's different, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what do you say, there's different um, ways to draw the yin-yang, right? Um, right. The most popular one is called the yin-yang fish, which is you have the white part with the black dot swirling uh-huh. into the black part with the white dot. That's the yin-yang fish, right? Uh-huh. There is an older depiction of it, which is, it's like a, it's a one circle, and inside that circle is a smaller circle. And then between the two circles is a swirling black and white. It's a black and white swirl, right? Mm. Now, from my experience of, uh, from, from Tai Chi, and also my emotional experience, is that, like, that's a, more accurate. That's more accurate to my experience of uh, emotional Tai Chi, I would say, uh, in that, like, okay, wait, how am I going to explain this? Uh, You know those times when you're really sad? I have clients that come to me when they're sad or they're upset or angry or frustrated. Um, And the main thing that they want to know is, how do I make this feeling go away? Mm-hmm. How do I not feel sad? How do I not feel angry or frustrated or upset? Right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, matter of factly, I'll just be like, too bad. You feel that way. That's what it is. <laughs> but when you look at the, the older version of the yin-yang symbol, what it is is you need to go through. You need to go through the swirl. There's like the the swirl part is all it's all turbulent and it's rough and it's bumpy, but then you get to the middle and the middle is just clear, like the eye of mm. a hurricane. Everything's swirling mm-hmm. around you. You need to go in order to get to the calm spot. You need to go right right into it. You know, mm-hmm. you can't avoid it. You can't go to the sides. It gets more turbulent on the sides. Right. right? You just go right into the center of it. Um, so well, that's yeah, really in terms of it's like when you were talking about the the two after two and a half days at at your landmark event, landmark forum. It mm-hmm. reminded me of a three day event I did called the Enlightenment Intensive, and mm-hmm. it was just like that. Like the first day, we were all just chattering, chattering, and the second day there was more like emotional release and all kinds of emotions mm. coming up. Mm-hmm. And then the 
the second half of the third day was just all like quiet and calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have that experience because you've gone through it and there's nowhere to go. And you just keep making eye contact with people and you keep repeating your Zippo and over and over. Yeah. And And that's when you finally get to that place of peace. So that's a universal truth, I think. And you're right at the center. It's so calm and clear and peaceful. And yes, it's still happening all around you. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Mhm. That's 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 how it informs my coaching. Oh, that totally Get makes right sense. Right to the heart of it. Mm. Yeah. Right. That absolutely makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So so then I don't. I'm imagining that you don't really say, "Oh, that's just what that's just the way it is." I forgot what you said. Something kind of flippant. Too bad. <laughs> that's what I say in my Too head. Bad. That's what in I say head, in my yeah. head. <laughs> so what right? do you say As, to the client? What do you say to the client to help them understand that they need to go into the feeling and not run from it or numb it out? <laughs> uh, it, it, well, it depends. Number one, it depends on how long we've been working together. Like how, how do they respond? What kinds of things can – there are some clients that we know each other well enough and we have a good enough relationship that I can be like, oh, too bad, and they understand what that means, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for other clients uh, – and this is this is another part of how Taoism and Tai Chi informs informs my coaching is that you need to understand who you're working with, right? And do what's mm-hmm. appropriate. And you can't do like a cookie cutter thing for every for every person, you know? Right, um, right. A lot of times a lot of times I'll just be like, huh, okay. And just let them keep talking. And a lot and you know, they'll they'll see it themselves. But if they've been mm-hmm. going on for like five or 10 minutes and they still don't see it, then I might comment with something like, it sounds like you want the sadness to go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally want that. I totally want the sadness to go away. How can I make it go away? Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, hmm, what if I said that you can't? Hmm. And then they're like, oh, there's the struggle. First, there's the struggle. Like, oh, no, you can, I have to live with this. Ah, I have to face it. Ah. And then the calm, like, you know, going through the swirl to get to the calm, you know. So, um, right. And this, this is another thing is that, like, um, a, lot of, a lot of what I tell people on calls are suggestions. It's like, Here's something that I suggest. You can take it or not. As a coach, like me, I've been through a lot of it. And in talking to my girlfriend, she's like, I could never be a coach or a therapist because I'd get so frustrated because I could see where they need to go, but they just need to do it. But it's also like, hey, man, it's taken me years to get here. And I had Mm -hmm. to get here on my own, essentially. And people could Mm -hmm. suggest things. And I definitely encountered some people who were trying to force it, and they only made things worse. It's like, mm-hmm. I got to be the one to go through that door. You can't make them go through that, that door. They got to do it themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so that and makes it could me take think a about... Tries. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that was it. <laughs> so, yeah, it makes me think about jealousy, because I, I teach jealousy workshops. And yeah. um, 
And when I'm speaking at a conference, back when we had conferences, <laughs> um, sometimes I'll wear a button that says I'm jealous because it's such a uh-huh. good conversation starter. Like, oh, this open relationship expert yeah. gets jealous? Really? Uh-huh. And there's, there's such yeah. a belief that, that you're supposed to, like, never get jealous or make yeah. sure that your partner never gets jealous. And so one of the mm. things I teach is that it's okay to have jealousy and it's just about mm-hmm. dancing with it and being with it mm-hmm. rather than trying to make it not happen because there's just like mm-hmm. this big um, story in our culture that when pe- that's, that's the most common thing I get when people hear that I'm non-monogamous is they say, but don't you get jealous as if you're supposed yeah. to do everything you can in life to never feel jealous. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. um, so it, it sounds similar, like that you would work with jealousy in a similar way, um, where you just help people be with that. Can you talk about mm. that a little bit and how you would apply these principles to jealousy? Well, um, in terms of in terms of jealousy, what's coming to mind for me is like, uh, uh, have you ever heard of push hands? I'm not sure. Okay. Push hands is a kind of Tai Chi practice where you have an opponent, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, your 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 uh, goal is to unbalance the other person and to avoid mm-hmm. them unbalancing you, right? Okay. Uh, now, when you're doing push hands, it's very similar to being in a relationship with someone. There's pushing, mm-hmm. there's pulling, there's moving. They want to go there. You don't want to go there. There's tension, and then there's release. And it, it really shows you your body is going to have certain reactions. You're going to have body reactions. You're going to have reflexes. You're going to have instincts. You're going to have emotions come up, right? And um, what is really important to discern is uh, which reactions are telling you this is dangerous, you need to get out of this position, and which ones are actually like old reactions that will actually put you into a worse position, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I like to use examples of like Tai Chi because it's easy to think about. It's easier to think about than jealousy, but it's actually a really good analogy. Um, if somebody trying to push me, a lot of times people's instinct is to like tense up their muscles. They tense. Uh, mm-hmm. They're scared. And their their body reaction is to become tense. Now, if if you've ever been in like boxing, if you've ever like been in a boxing against someone, somebody's punching you and you and you stiffen up, right? You've just made yourself mm-hmm. into a really hard piece of wood and bam, oh that's gonna hurt you that's going to really hurt you've just made their their push or their punch a lot more effective by tensing up mm-hmm. other other times other times you'll be going along you'll be going along and you'll get like a sense like uh like they're about to get you in a wrist lock something like that it's like get out there's this feeling of get out and then boom you need to identify this is actually a useful feeling, and get your hand out. So with mm-hmm. jealousy, it would be it would be a similar thing, right? You would need to identify, okay, what's actually happening here? Because a lot of times jealousy can be useful, 
mm-hmm. think this goes back to what you were talking about. Like people feel like they have to stuff it. <laughs> right? right. They gotta be like, jealousy. Oh, bad thing. Just shut up, jealousy. I don't want to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Right. But there could be mm-hmm. some really valuable information there. Right. Right. Like, like what's actually happening? Is there something that you want or you need? Is there, like, I remember telling one of my partners, like, if you just send me a text with a with a heart emoji, boom, all good. That's all I need, right? And sometimes it could be right. something that small. Just just tell me that you you're acknowledge me just a teeny little bit, and I'll calm down. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I tend to be anxiously attached. Right, so I have a uh-huh. lot of those little mechanisms that I like ask for as part of me knowing uh-huh. myself and then being a partner asking for that. Right, um, still on topic. I, I feel like I'm still on topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's also a really good thing. We could go off on that tangent, but just to come back to um, how you were talking about the push pull. Um, what did you call it? Push the hands. Hands. Yeah, push hands. Push hands, yeah. Push hands. What a great metaphor for relationship. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about, that little game or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's such a metaphor for in relationship. Mm. If we if we push back, then it escalates. But if we are vulnerable and we, mm-hmm. and we just become soft, then the whole game kind of collapses and there's right. a softness and a possibility yeah. there. So yeah. so how does that apply to jealousy? Uh, well, I think first we would need to examine it, right? Just like those push mm-hmm. hands responses, just examine it. So, okay, you feel jealous. What do you feel like you need to ask for? If oh, anything, I see. So, yeah, right? definitely. And when then, you ask for what you want, like a heart emoji or whatever, yeah. You're being vulnerable. You're softening. You're not fighting back. You're yeah. not making the other person. You're not blaming the other person for your feeling. You're owning mm-hmm. it, and then you're asking for what you need. Yeah. Um, and yeah. hopefully, your partner is willing to negotiate giving that right. to you. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and and yeah, uh, figure out what it is that you would ask for, and then do it, and see where it get, where it gets you. Does it get you to a place mm-hmm. where you want to be, or not? <laughs> It's not mm-hmm. okay. Don't do that. <laughs> it's it's pretty right. simple. It's pretty simple, although not necessarily easy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, if you're if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com, and we're speaking with Steve Yang, who is a relationship coach, and we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, how he uses Taoism and martial arts, his training in martial arts, and how that informs his relationship coaching. Um, mm. So, Steve, do you consider yourself polyamorous, or what labels do you use? <laughs> oh, uh, I just very recently uh, took on the label uh, relationship anarchist. Mm-hmm. Now, I was very reluctant to take on that label because of 
some previous experiences I had with people who called themselves relationship anarchists, right? It's like, now this is a few years ago I had this uh, experience and it kind of uh, put a sour taste in my mouth for uh, people who use that title. Uh, And a lot of it was, you know, the idea of like, your feelings are your own. They are your responsibility, not mine. You need to get, I'm going to, I'm going to say it this way. You need to get over yourself. Right. Um, Now there was a, I actually do want to say that thought is super valid and it's at the center of a lot of personal development. Mm -hmm. But what I found after years of my own personal development is a lot of those things, a lot of those things are not, they're not, they don't work when you point them at somebody else like a weapon. Mm -hmm. They're intended to be pointed at yourself for your own personal growth. Right. And what I came across with people who call themselves a relationship anarchist was they resisted any kind of impingement on their freedom, right? Well, I'm going to do whatever I want, and uh, if I don't want to meet meet up with you at 5 o'clock, then I'm just not going to go, sorry, I found something better to do, Mm -hmm. was my experience, right? Right. And I was just like, how, you people have jobs, right? I mean, you you agree to go (laughs) in at 9, 3, right? How is that not Mm -hmm. impinging on you? Right. So, actually, I, I kind of learned that there's different, even within relationship anarchy, there's different kinds of relationship anarchists. And that is one kind of relationship anarchist. But let me say, I am not that kind of relationship anarchist. Mm-hmm. I believe that in order to build a relationship, you need to give up some of your freedoms, mm-hmm. right? Like like mm-hmm. uh, a support post, a support post for a house is not going to work if it just moves around at will. It needs to stay in one place, right? Right. It's totally impinging on its freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I want to build something with someone else, I need to be a reliable person. Right? Right. Then, and then you can build something. So yeah, I consider myself a relationship anarchist. Um, at first, when I heard people saying that relationship anarchy was not polyamory, I was like, what? No, I thought relationship anarchy was like one end, one end on, the, on the spectrum of polyamory. The other... The other end was like closed triad, right? And then go uh-huh. off on the other end, they have like relationship anarchy, which is a little bit beyond solo polyamory, <laughs> you know, right? Uh-huh. Uh, right? But now that I'm here, I'm like, oh, yeah, I understand why relationship anarchy is not polyamory. Because personally, I, I'm in a monogamous romantic relationship right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it works. It works for us. Mm-hmm. My shorthand for relationship anarchy is we do what works. Mm-hmm. And this works for both of us. Great. Yay. Let's do it. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so relation, my understanding of relationship anarchy is that um, you don't um, 
put a hierarchy on your romantic relationships over your other kinds of relationships that, mm. that well, often mm. in our default in our default culture um, we prioritize our primary partner our sexual relationships and sometimes mm. people even lose their friends when they get into a mm. relationship so my understanding yeah. is relationship activists make all their relationships equally important yeah I was about to say it, but I wanted to, like, stop and see where you wanted to go with this conversation. And I'm so glad <laughs> that you said that, right? Because yeah. it, it, it's, it's something, um, you know, so it's been a year since lockdown, since shelter in place. Um, right. And uh, in the first few months, from March until May, my world got super small, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I do a lot. I do. I, I'm a partner dancer. I do circus art. Um, I I'm a burlesque performer. And suddenly, wow. when shelter in place happened, all of that shut down. So I was sitting right. here twiddling my thumbs. I don't know what to do with myself, right? And suddenly, what I notice is, oh, oh wait, I have neighbors. Oh hey neighbor. Oh you've been here. How long you've been here? Two years. I haven't even noticed you before. Damn. Right? <laughs> Start spending time with my neighbors because of the bear. Start spending yeah. time with my roommates like I like I've never done before. And uh-huh. like started spending time with like my mom and my sister. Mhm. And I think probably around like August or something I was just like, "Mm, I saw that the very thing that you were talking about, I was overvaluing the romantic and sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. And there's that, that polyamorous saying, uh, love is infinite, but time is not. Right. So it's like, do I want to have strong family relationships? Yeah. It's also like strong relationships with my neighbors. Hell yeah. I mean, like I go outside and like, I, I know my neighbors. They're like, Hey, do you have, some sugar we can borrow. You know, all the stuff that neighbors do. And, you, and you're living like in a big community. That's why this is unusual, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Oakland. I live you're in living, North Oakland. You're living in Oakland. Yeah, right, right. It's unusual in Oakland, yeah, to know your neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody's in a small yeah. town, they'd be like, well, of course you know your neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, like, but, I mean, yeah, there are definitely some people who are just like, who who keep propagating the idea that like oh time stopped in March of last year and it's just everything's on pause, but actually I found that I've changed a lot and learned a, learned and grew a lot in this past year. Um, mm-hmm. COVID has really taught me that I don't need to have such a huge life, and actually mm-hmm. if I do, I'm missing out on a lot. Mm-hmm. You know. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a relationship. Yeah, well, thank you. Cool. That's great. So, um, if anybody has any questions for Steve, please feel free to call in. The call-in number is area code six five seven three eight three eleven thirty two. Again, that's six five seven three eight three one one three two. And you won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll answer your call at the right time. So feel free to ask Steve any questions that you want. Um, so we're talking yeah. about relationships, Becky. So have you had 
experiences in the past where you had multiple romantic relationships. Mm. Yes, definitely. Okay. What did you learn from that and how does it show up in your coaching? <laughs> oh, <laughs> how does it show up in my coaching? Um, okay. Uh, so I first heard about polyamory back in 2012. I had just gotten divorced <laughs> so as a recently divorced guy, <laughs> I was like, this polyamory thing sounds great. You mean I get to sleep with more than one woman at a time? This sounds awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm laughing. It's it's like I'm laughing with you, Zumati, because right, it's just because like, yeah, we know. It's going to be like a big fun times all the time. They don't realize how much like one relationship's hard enough and then the more you add, the more, the more you have yeah. to learn and grow and then communicate. Mm. Yeah. Totally, totally. Uh, so um, I, the, the very first woman that I dated who was polyamorous, uh, now that I look back at it, it was she was an angel to me. She was so – I was going through my own stuff. You know, you know, like when you do when you're starting out in polyamory, you're just going through your own mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, she was dating, I think, three other men, and uh, she would come back home. Uh, I didn't live with her. She would just go back to her home and then call me at, at, after the date. At like two, even if it was like 2 in the morning, she'd call me just to make sure I'm okay. Hey, I'm back from my date. Are you doing okay? And she'd stay on the phone as long as, as, long as I need it. Right Aww. now, at the time, I didn't really appreciate it for what it was, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's especially great when you consider that she was a preschool teacher, and she I needed to, to wake up at six o'clock. <laughs> and here she is on the phone with me at three, with wow. a four-year-old daughter. Wow. Wow. Oh my God! I need to thank that woman mm. for putting up with mm. me, right? So that was mm-hmm. not the first. So, uh, Rose, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm gonna say. <clears throat> uh, in terms of, so that was like the the first woman I dated uh, polyamorously. Uh, in terms of dating multiple women at the same time, I think the most was five, which was mm-hmm. a bit untenable. I'm going to use the word untenable mm-hmm. for me. Uh, <laughs> right. I kind of explored all the different – I wanted to explore and just kind of find out where I sat, where I sat on this spectrum of polyamory. And um, right. I discovered that for the amount of time I like to spend with my partners uh, – Two, like considering that time and, and and the idea that like the relationship deepens with the amount of time that you spend with them, it's, there's two mm-hmm. uh, is sustainable, and then a third wouldn't quite reach the the level of intimacy that I want, right? So yeah. it's kind of like uh, two solid ones, and then like uh, uh, dating another woman kind of thing. Yeah, um, no, that's what I find for most people is true. Most people only have time for two or maybe three unless they mm. um, don't have to work 
and mm-hmm. they just find relationships to be there, everything in life, and they don't have any other hobbies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. for most people, just like I know two, people like two that. Two and a half is kind of the typical, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. That is so validating. I didn't know that mm-hmm. it was so common. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how it informs my coaching, um, really, there's this thing about polyamory that I call parallax view. Uh, now, what parallax is, it's like, you know, have, you have predatory animals with two eyes pointing the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. And so each of them gives you a slightly different perspective. And because of that, mm-hmm. you get a lot more information about what's going on. You get like mm-hmm. uh, position, you get distance, you get, you know, depth, you, you got all this, all this new, new information because you have two visions of the same thing. So in mm-hmm. polyamory, there's a similar thing of parallax view. And it's like you're with one partner, stuff happens, bam, argument. Okay, you end the date. You go go see your next partner, same argument. Wait a minute. Maybe we're having the same argument. Maybe it's me. <laughs> I'm the common denominator. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so I really feel like polyamory is a, it's like, it's like personal development on steroids. You cannot get away right. from yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've actually, I've actually explained it like that to someone. <laughs> and they're just like, you're not making this very, uh, inspiring for me to try and I'm like I right. just want to be real honest with you You, if you're willing to have good hard looks at yourself you know to be super honest with yourself and do a lot of that work it could really work for you and you get amazing stuff out of it but if you're afraid of looking at that you don't want to look at that you're going to have a rough time right yeah, that's very true. So um, I've known people, I've known two young women who intentionally got into um, relationships with, with a couple. Both of them did the same thing where they chose to be with a couple for a little while to mm-hmm. experience what a healthy relationship is like, like, be in the middle of mm-hmm. a healthy relationship. Even though they knew they didn't want that long term, they wanted to be monogamous. Mm-hmm but they, mm-hmm. they did it for like a growth experience. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know of anybody that did it another way for a growth experience, but most of the people that I know think of themselves as whatever the label is, open or polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous. It's, it's like an identity. It's just like who we are, mm-hmm. and that's true for me. It's like who I am. So I, mm. I can force into a monogamous relationship for a few years um, mm. but I won't, won't thrive in it long term and mm. so I know better, better than to say yes to that now because I know what's coming yeah. in a couple years. Wow. And wow. Yeah. So it's yeah. really just kind of like an identity for some people but yeah. if that's just who you are then you have to figure it out and that's, that was kind yeah. of my past like I, I was you know getting I was you know, getting triggered and my, you know, anxious attachment was going through the roof and I, you know, I was in my core wounds and 
having those dark night of the souls. And I was like, okay, but this is who I am. So I'm just going to have to figure this out. And so that's when I like threw myself into reading all the books and, you know, doing all the journaling and meditation Mm -hmm. so that I could figure out how to live like this (laughs) in a happy way. Yeah. Yeah. Going right into the eye of the storm. Exactly. Right, right, right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So do you coach people that are in non-monogamous relationships? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, A lot of them come to me and they're curious about how to start. Mm -hmm. Like an existing Uh, relationship that wants to open? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I would sometimes sometimes I just have one person from the relationship come to me. I want to open this relationship, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That it's like, okay, well, uh, you got to get the other person on board, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You can't just kind of open it up. Uh, and and other times it's like a couple that comes to me is like, we want to open it up. Uh, I I come at it from the perspective of facilitating exploration of themselves through polyamory. Polyamory is the context through which they're getting to know themselves and their partner. And so Mm -hmm. really, uh, I'm not really trying to push them to do any particular thing, but every time we hit some kind of bump, we kind of look at it and then we'd be like, okay, well, was it something that you want? Do you want this, right? Uh, The very first couple that I had, and they've been together for like 10 years, um, what they were saying was there's there's some kind of, we've been together for 10 years. Oh, wait, was it 10? That was like 20 years. They've been together for a really long, they were only like mid-30s, but they'd been together, they'd been each other's first boyfriend and girlfriend, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they wanted to open up their relationship. Um, They felt like there was some kind of spark missing. Uh, so the first thing I did was get the spark back <laughs> between the two, and of then them? revisit polyamory. Do you mm-hmm. want to be polyamorous now? Now mm-hmm. that the spark is back, right? Right. Uh, and after after the I ignited the spark again. After we ignited the, the spark again, their answer to that question was no, no, we're fine. Right, because. Mm. Entering into polyamory as a means to fix your relationship rarely right. goes well. And the right. best support for polyamorous relationship is a strong existing relationship. So, right. And now they're married and they have a baby. Great. <laughs> and they're monogamous. Like, yeah. So what about like an, uh, a couple that's been together a really long time? I don't know if you've experienced this situation, but if you, if you do, what would you, if you do in the future, what would you do with like a couple that's been together a really long time? They're older. Um, they uh-huh. have just kind of like gone their separate ways, emotion, like romantically and sexually, but uh-huh. they're still, they still love and respect each other. Um, they have, a, you know, a whole home and family, maybe a business they built together. They have this whole life they've built. Mm. But, like, you know, maybe mm. the woman is just 
interested in sex anymore after menopause or maybe the man, you know, is taking medication for some long-term ailment and has lost his sex drive and, and they're fine. They don't want to fix that. They just want mm-hmm. to have, make sure that the other person gets their needs met. Mm. Like, what would you tell them? Well, first, that you go at the pace of the slowest person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If they've been together for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have clients that have been together for like four to five years, right? Um, if they've been together for a long time, then there's certain aspects of them, particularly in a monogamous relationship, and they're considering opening it up, there's certain aspects of themselves that have not been confronted uh, in ways that polyamory will confront them. So I really suggest that they just take it slow and talk about Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, create create a plan. Create a whole plan. Okay, this is what I eventually want to do. Okay, this is how we're going to start moving towards it. And to get them to understand, this is going to be like, uh, it's going to be kind of like a like an ebb and flow. You're going to go forward a little bit and then back, and then forward a little bit and then back. And hopefully, hopefully, you'll go forward more than you're going back, which also goes into mm-hmm. the whole Taoism balance Tai Chi cycles thing we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier. Hopefully, you'll right. eventually keep working towards there and eventually get there. And you can stop at any point. Not don't want to do this anymore. Okay, great. Both of you agree to stop? Okay, you're stopping. You know, I think there's a, mm-hmm. uh, something about like, we're committed to this, let's go. No, I feel hurt, but no, keep going. No, it's, slow down. You don't mm-hmm. got to charge, charge in so fast, you know. Again, it's right. more the experience. Uh, uh, facilitating their exploration of themselves through the context of polyamory, you know, mm-hmm. and it strikes right at the core of a lot of stuff, which is why I choose to be a relationship coach. You know, mm-hmm. my coach training trained me to coach people on whatever business, finances, management, leadership, whatever they want. So I found that, uh, when I choose my focus as relationships, I skip all of the tracks people from what's really important, which is relationships, family relationships, romantic relationships. You know, that's when stuff really comes up. Mm, Yeah, totally. Who do you think you are? Right? (laughs) Cool. Wow. One of the one of the things that I help when when I'm working with a long term couple, what I try to help them with is to create some um, sovereignty from each other to unenmesh, because long term mm. couples can be so enmeshed, and if they want to start dating other people, they have to kind of create more individuation, so mm-hmm. they're not so obsessed yeah. with what the other person is doing. Like, sure, it's good to have a general idea of, to know that they're on a date, to know how they feel about this person they're seeing, mm-hmm. but not to be like, you said yeah. you were coming home at 5, but you came home at 5.15. <laughs> you yeah, broke yeah, our yeah, agreement. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. get like, oh. so upset about all that stuff, it's not going to work. So yeah. I find that the first step is often like de- detangling the enmeshment from years and years yeah. of that. 
Well, but also understand is a, a, a step they have to go through, <laughs> you know? Exactly. It's like a four-year-old is going to be a four-year-old, <laughs> even though yes. eventually they're going to be different, but that's where they are now, right? So. Yes. Hmm. And I've had a couple of clients that have apps on their phone where they know where the other is all the time. <laughs> I say, Get rid of those oh. things. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right off it's the those bat. things. Oh my, yeah. It sounds it's like, really oh. romantic at first, but uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> it can make you really crazy when they're dating other people to like wonder where yeah. they are every moment. <laughs> remove, remove those, remove those things. All right, totally. That was something yeah. that came to mind for me. We were talking about enmeshment and having them uh, separate themselves. Um, Oh, I forgot. Well, I maybe forgot you'll think of it. it is. Um, you were talking yeah. earlier about the first people that you met who did relationship anarchy, and they were so independent. And then they were <laughs> talking about how couples get so enmeshed. So obviously, mm-hmm. we want the the middle way. We want interdependence. We, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what I love about being a relationship coach is that there's no right or wrong answer to anything. It's not like an engineering mm-hmm. problem that has outcome. It's just mm-hmm. a dance that we do. It's more like an art form yeah. or a tango where we're uh-huh. finding that delicate place where we're just connected enough without being without losing ourselves in that. We have a sense of self, but we also have responsibility to you. Yeah. And like that's yeah. a unique place for every single person and every single couple. Yeah. yeah. This I I remembered what I was gonna say. This is about finances as a couple. Okay. And at your your little summary totally triggered it for me. Um, you know, I realized after I got divorced, one of the mistakes I made during my marriage, my seven-year marriage, was to um, co-mingle all of our funds. Your money is my money is your money. There's no difference. Whoa. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. <laughs> and what I realize now is that when you, when I don't have my money and you don't have your money and it's all the same money, there's no opportunity to give gifts. Oh. Every time I'm going to buy you something, the question is, oh, thank you. How much did this cost us? How much of right. my money did you spend? And it's similar to it's similar to having your own living space. Like I'm going to move closer to my girlfriend. I'm not going to move in with her. But even if I do move in with her, I'm still I still want my own room. I'm not going to have mm-hmm. just two of us in one room, and that's the default. Because then what it mm-hmm. allows for is, if I want to spend time with her, I'll go to her room. If I want time mm-hmm. on my own, I'll go to my I'll stay in my room, right? Mm-hmm. So it allows me to make that choice rather than just have it be by default. You know? Yeah, I think that's I what you're that talking about. Before. Yeah, I lived that way for a year um, with my partner. We lived in side-by-side units in an apartment building, and it was Mm. so great. I mean, the relationship ended for other reasons, but as far as, like, living situation, that was ideal because we didn't have to pack a bag and drive somewhere. We just walked right Mm. next door, and we had our own bedrooms and our own kitchens. I didn't have to get mad at him for not putting the toothpaste on the tooth, you know, the lid on the oh, toothpaste. The like, we, had, we had all that separate, but then we could intentionally choose to like walk over and be with the other person in their space. Mm. And it was yeah, just perfect. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> well, so um, we're we're out of time already. That went really fast. <laughs> wow. And that went. It, it was really, really great. Great. Yeah. And I want to give you some time to tell our listeners how they can find you if they'd like to hmm. explore more about what you offer. So please okay. take two or three minutes to tell people where to reach you and what your offerings are. Okay. Well, I have a website, and uh, it's really easy to remember. It's www.coachsteveyang.com. Uh, Steve, S-T-E-V-E. Uh and uh, on there, you'll see a bunch of my blogs. You'll see upcoming workshops. Um, if you want, you can also email me. My email address is also really easy to remember, steve at coachsteveyang.com. There you Perfect. go. Okay, great. What kind of workshops do you do? Uh, my next one is going to be the first time I'm putting on that workshop. It's called... Creating Intimacy. So right now it's free. So if you go on to CoachTVN.com, go to Workshops, you'll see Creating Intimacy. And all you need to do is register. And, but I also want your feedback at the end. Uh, I also do okay. – so I, I alternate. One month I'll do a non-polyamory workshop, just basically general relationship workshop, workshop like Creating Intimacy. Mm-hmm. And the next month I'll do a, a polyamory workshop, like Polyamory Fundamentals, polyamory and parenting, handling jealousy, those kinds of things. That sounds really awesome. So the next one you have coming up is free. So I hope everybody will take advantage uh-huh. of getting Steve's wisdom. So yeah. thank you for offering. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Okay. Well, thank you, Steve. It was so fun chatting with you. I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Excellent. Thank you, Sumati. Okay. Good luck with everything. Bye-bye. Bye. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Leading Edge Love Radio this evening. I want to tell you about our guest next week because we have a show every week. I have a show every week (laughs) at 6 p.m. Pacific time from 6 to 7. And next week, I'm super excited to have Pamela Madsen. She is a powerhouse entrepreneur, really teaches mostly women, but I think all people are welcome, Um, how to love themselves exactly as they are. And really, it's all about the relationship with yourself. And she is such a great role model for loving and accepting her body and like really getting into how your your turn on, your eroticism comes from your own self-love. It doesn't come from being loved by someone else. So please join us next week to meet the amazing Pat And thanks all for uh, coming tonight. And I hope you all do really well. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.